Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Tuesday. Talking some USC football with our buddy Dan Weber, uh, beat writer and columnist for uscfootball.com. Check him out on the site. Uh, check him out, too, on the site on Twitter, at Inside Troy. Want to talk about some USC football coming off of a win. Uh, no emergency podcast this week, so that's been nice. We're kind of answer your questions about what's going on with the team, so we want to get Dan's opinion, he was obviously at the game, listened to Clay Helton's conference call afterwards, and we're going to go back to practice today. So they're getting ready for a really tough uh, Colorado team that's undefeated in the conference so far. So that should be interesting. If you want to send us an email or voicemail, all of the information is on our website, peristylepodcast.com. You can check it out there. And uh, we'd love to get your questions. We've, you guys sent in a bunch, so we're going to try to get to all of them again today. And uh, let's welcome in Dan Weber. What's up, Dan? How you doing, man? Doing good. Doing good. And I think it's a very good thing this week that this is a good Colorado team, a ranked Colorado team, uh, a team that, you know, you got to be ready for, and a team that beating them will mean something. So I think for all kinds of good reasons, this is a good year to have Colorado uh, be back, uh, you know, somewhere they haven't been in a long, long time. We're going to do some content exchanges on uscfootball.com with our buddy Adam Munster Tiger from buffstampede.com. He does a great job covering the Colorado Buffaloes and they recently moved over to the Scout Network. So it's great to have him on board. And he sent me some questions, Dan. And one of them was, you know, kind of how are USC fans looking at this game? And, uh, it was funny. I got a tweet earlier today. Someone asking me, like, I, th- I think I retweeted something Adam said. They had a press conference today. And someone like some USC fan asked me, does Colorado even have a chance? So I don't, I'm not sure that USC fans realize how good Colorado is. And I, as far as I know, the Buffs haven't beat USC or UCLA ever. Um, so maybe just people think it's the same old Buffaloes. This does not look like the same old Buffaloes. Yeah. And, and you could see why. I mean, the first time I ever actually covered USC Colorado in 2002, uh, USC was ranked number 17. Colorado was ranked number 18 games in Boulder. And it was 40 to 3. And it was, it, Carson Palmer and company were so obviously much, uh, more talented, much better athletes than, uh, than Colorado that it's easy for people to kind of just assume that, you know, that was a, a good Colorado team, they thought. And, um, so, you know, and you've won all 10 games against Colorado. Uh, all seven in this century. Uh, you know, I mean, as I said in the column the other day, all, all USC fans ever thought about was if the game's in Boulder late in the year at night, like they almost always were, you're basically thinking, well, how much snow or how cold is it going to be? Other than that, there's never been much thought about, gee, you think Colorado could possibly beat us? You know, that's not a thought USC fans. Um, ever think. Well, they're going to have to think it now because Colorado's ranked. Uh, this is a legit team. So we'll check out the site. We'll have, uh, we'll have more on them, but it's, uh, it's not going to be the same old Colorado. They went up to, to Eugene and beat Oregon up there. Um, they beat the crap out of Oregon State. I mean, they look like a legit, and they had a backup quarterback in for the last couple of games and, uh, he's looked great. So, uh, yeah, I don't know which way is, uh, better for their, quarterback situation but then you know the team's pretty good if they can put in their next guy and uh and they just keep beating people yeah. and, and beating people badly that say okay this is a pretty good team uh i mean you gotta remember they were uh beating the heck out of michigan at michigan until the quarterback got hurt so uh you know they're they're pretty legit uh to say the least and usc fans should just be used to this by now. I mean, and I don't know if the his, in the history of college football has a team ever opened in its first six games against five ranked teams. I mean, I just, I mean, it, it's very difficult to find schedules that have five ranked teams for the whole year. Five of your first six 
and I was, I was kidding the other day. I said, you always looked at this year's schedule and said, okay, it's the toughest schedule in the country, but it's front loaded and it's back loaded. September's a killer. November's a killer. Who knew that now you had uh, a, a ranked Colorado and you had Cal and you middle loaded, you know, so now it's not like, uh, you know, front back, every part of it is loaded. Yeah. And, uh, and again, when you, when you get three losses to start with, I think it's really good to play nothing but good teams that, that are going to make you look, make you have to be ready to play. And if you beat them, you'll get credit for it a little bit. So I think USC, I don't know if the USC fans, we hear from the, the negative Nelly. So we hear from the guys who say all of a sudden Arizona State, after beating Cal, they're not any good the way USC beat them. Okay. And I'm sure that we'll have the same people who will say, if USC happens to be Colorado, who will say, yeah, Colorado's not any good either. But I think it's, you know, you just keep beating ranked teams, good things will happen to you eventually. Yeah. Uh, all right, well, let's move on. We're good. Well, I want to talk about our sponsor for the show before we jump into the questions. Uh, it's our buddies at Mac Weldon, so they do great stuff over there. Definitely check it out. Go to Mac Weldon. Dot com And if you use the promo code Peristyle, you'll get 20% off. So I've talked about it before. Uh, once they sent me that, that first package, it was awesome. The best, it was the most comfortable underwear I've ever had. Uh, so I love the stuff. It's definitely better than whatever you're wearing right now. So just go to the website. It's really simple. It's really slick. Uh, MacWeldon.com. Uh, but it's more than the underwear. I wear the, the socks I love. They ride all the way up and they don't come down. They stay up. So I wore them at the game on Saturday. So it's a long day when you're working the game and they never came down until I came home. So that was kind of cool. And I'm wearing what now it's getting a little chillier now. So I have these, uh, cool Mack Weldon undershirts that I'll wear underneath like polos and things like that. So I'm wearing one now, super comfortable, but they got hoodies too. They're sweatpants, any kind of guy stuff. If you want to check them out, uh, go to MacWeldon.com. but they've been great to us. Um, and I love it. So I wouldn't, if I didn't love it, I wouldn't tell you. So definitely if you check it out, MacWeldon.com, you'll get 20% off using the code Peristyle and drop me an email. And let me know if you like it. I had a few people email me say they really love the stuff. So. Drop me an email, podcast at uscfootball.com. Let me know. But MacWeldon.com, 20% off with the promo code uh, Peristyle. We, lo- we love to hear from the people that love underwear, Dan. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> nobody uh, nobody better to hear from. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, but it's good stuff, so definitely check it out. Well, let's so let's jump into some questions, Dan. And we're going to start. We have a couple interesting voicemail questions, so I'll play one of them for you right now and get your thoughts. Here you go. Hello, Ryan. Don of Upland, California. Some words of caution here. The victory over Arizona State was very good. My hat goes off to the team and the coaching staff. Let's not get too overjoyed. There are many games left to play. The question I have is can USC consistently play the way they did against Arizona State, or was that game a fluke? USC needs to run the table from here on out to have the type of season that I and the majority of USC fans consider to be a successful season. That still remains to be seen. One thing for sure is they now have the right quarterback running the offense. No disrespect to Max Brown, but Sam Darnold is the more skilled quarterback, without a doubt. So the big question is, can USC accomplish the task of going undefeated the rest of the season. Anything short of that goal will be disappointing. Fight on. Don from Upland, California. Yeah, yeah, Don echoes kind of, kind of where I am. I mean, I think, uh, you know, again, against this schedule, no one should expect them to, but I think you've got to say, this is what we have to do. You know, there's not an Alabama there. Unfortunately, there are certainly teams that are as good or better than Stanford. That USC didn't recognize that, wasn't prepared for Stanford, uh, and, and kind of the same way with Utah. I mean, let's face it. If you started over again right now, you could put Utah and Stanford in a hopper and say USC ought to beat them too. And they probably, you know, I think they've got a heck of a shot. I mean, I think, you know, I'd love to, you know, get them a shot at, at Stanford again. And, um, you know, they just, they weren't prepared. They weren't ready to play. Uh, obviously they didn't have Sam in there. I mean, I think what they finally admitted was 
if all things are the way they wanted them to be, starting with an offensive line that really would execute, would use that, you know, two seniors, three juniors, all who've played their whole careers and say, they're going to execute every play the way we want them to. Then you could say, well, Max Brown, he can call, he's got all the protections down, he's got all the, maybe, uh, and, and, and maybe they're going to be able to block the run the way this, you know, this coaching staff thought they could run the ball. Turns out they couldn't do either of those things. At that point, you basically have to say, what do we do? How do we get somebody else in there? And you get Sam in there who can make plays, you know, when, uh, when the offensive line breaks down, uh, who gives you an extra running back who you've got to account for if you're on the defense. Uh, you used to hear the run, you know, the, the current running back say, uh, there's just much more room for them, especially on that read option, because you have to account for, Matt, uh, for Sam. So, uh, so that gives them a shot that maybe they didn't have in those first few games against teams that, you know, uh, on paper, I guess you could say, well, certainly aren't as good as Alabama, but you might not have thought they were going to be as good as Stanford either. But, uh, you know, running the table is, that's really asking a lot, but it's the kind of thing that, that would make you be able to say a season that started so badly turned out, you know, that's not a bad, not a bad season if they run the table, which would mean they beat UCLA and Notre Dame, uh, back to back. Uh, I think USC fans would probably warm to that kind of a finish. Uh, but then the other thing you're throwing in there is, Seattle, you know, a road trip to Seattle and Washington, which starts that final three game. You know, if you, if they beat Washington on the road, uh, UCLA at the Rose Bowl and Notre Dame at the Coliseum, even the, the biggest negative USC fans will probably find it hard to, to say that wasn't the finish that, you know, that, that they'll be, pleased about and I would say we wouldn't hear from those guys as much on the Peristyle if uh, if what Don says uh, happens. Yeah, for sure. Um, that would be very that's gonna be very difficult to do. Uh, but we'll see. Yeah. Um, a lot of that so it's funny with this when USC getting the win over Arizona State, there's a lot of like, hey I'm happy but kind of questions. So here's another one. He's like great win, but uh, I'm concerned about our once, uh, vaunted offensive line. What is the problem? Is it coaching, athleticism, scheme, other teams stacking the box, injuries, some or all of the above or something else? I'm happy for the team and hope this is the beginning of many more wins this season. Fight on from Michael. Yeah. I mean, I, I'd add consistency to that. And I don't, I mean, like you watch one play, for example, that, that, that big Justin Davis uh, outside zone run, and you see Viani taking his defensive tackle eight, ten yards downfield, burying him. You see Chuma Adoga kicking out on the defensive end uh, and just, you know, chicken fighting him all the way practically out of the picture. And you see uh, Juju then cleaning up on, uh, on the, the last defensive back standing. And at that point you think, man, Okay, that's what you want to do. There you go. And they did it. You know, they do it some. And then there are times they get, you know, fourth and one or fourth and two or third and two, whatever, and they run a play up inside. And, you know, you end up, if you're a running back, you catch the offensive lineman in your lap. You know, I mean, he just gets blown up. Uh, I, you know, I mean, obviously having five uh, offensive line coaches in five years is not is not helpful. Uh I, I don't think I, I would say this. I'm surprised they don't look more athletic than they do uh, with all this time. You know, I mean, was everybody wrong about, you know, where these guys should have you know been ranked coming out of high school? Uh, how are they not more influential in a game on a consistent play by play by play by play basis? I don't have a good answer, uh, you know, for that. I do know this at the Arizona State game. They were, uh, it looked like they were more in sync, uh, fewer penalties, fewer uncertainties, uh, fewer whiffs, that kind of thing. I mean, they, they had trouble getting started. I, I think, you know, JJ Wicker and those guys were kind of coming through, uh, in the first couple of series, but that's where they have in the Sam Darnold, who just basically 
uh, in games like that, you throw the ball to open up the game for the run. And it's not exactly the way uh, I think the coaches planned it, but, uh, you know, they, they look like they – the combination of this offensive line pass blocking with Sam Darnold's ability to just keep moving and running out of uh, uh, out of harm's way, and his ability to decide immediately if he if he needs to get rid of the ball immediately. I mean, he really is uh, his quick decision making. I think is the thing that 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 has gotten him in sync with an offensive line that that's still not consistent enough. And you know, placing blame. I don't know that, that placing blame does a lot of good. You'd like to figure out what's the fix here. And, and to some extent, Sam Darnold has been the fix. Uh, but uh, you would like to see him. I mean, I'd like to see him be able to fire off the ball in short yardage situations uh, consistently, together, uh, you know, powerfully, athletically, all those things. And, you know, there are times where they just look like they get beat by half a count. <clears throat> when the play's coming right at their rear end, and that really shouldn't happen, and and I I don't have a good answer for that. I really don't. All right, uh, thanks for that one, Michael. Let's go. We got another voicemail question for you, Dan. Here you go. JD from DC with uh, this week's question for Dan Weber. Dan, uh, not trying to throw shade on uh, Clay Helton, and as you say. He's going to have a chance uh, to win or lose this job. And, you know, that's pretty much all of us can hope for, particularly when we're, you know, in a job that we don't have any track record of success. In. But having said all that, I'm increasingly disturbed to see or at least get a sense that there are a lot of people who are kind of setting the table for retaining the current coaching staff if we lose six or even seven games. If you break that down... It's pretty disturbing because to lose six games means basically they're losing to Washington, UCLA, and Notre Dame. How can that possibly remotely even be considered a successful season or even a upbeat trajectory? You lose your last two games against your key um, historic competitors. Uh, you have six losses total. By any standard, even last year, that's regression. Uh, and then, you know, losing seven games and retaining the staff is just out of the question. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it's, uh, do they look like they, they're going in the right direction? Uh, do they look like they figured out what got them off to such a, I mean, obviously part of that, uh, the bad start is who you were playing and where you were playing them and when you were playing them. The second part of that is they didn't, uh, you know, handle that. Very well, and they didn't. And nobody can argue that. Now it's from here to from here to the end of the season. I, mean, I think if you know if you uh, if you lose to all the you know, all the games just you know that are up in the air, you say you know and they're not the only ones that are up in the air. But you're talking Washington, UCLA, Notre Dame. Uh, you know if you finish on a three game losing streak, it'd be very hard to make the case that uh, uh, that this is going in the direction that you want it to go. So yeah, I'm not going to get into those kinds of numbers i don't know that that's very you got one game this week and that's the number that you got to worry about and then then the, you know the game next week and as much of a cliche as that is you know i, I don't you know you know i think i if you want to go to the end of the season you basically i think say hey every game you got a chance to win you got to win and uh let that play out and and i don't know that if i look on paper right now you know, if you had to say, well, what game do you absolutely not have on paper uh, a chance to win? You'd have to say, well, I guess it's Washington just because it's on the road and they're they're off to such a good start. You know, I'm not even convinced that 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 they're that you know that that team that's just gonna you know they're just you know they're well coached. They they get absolutely the most out of their ability. Don't make a lot of mistakes. Um, they have all those things that you would expect from a Chris Peterson team in his third year. Are they you know are they that that talented, they're, you know, in terms of matching their talent with what they're trying to do and how they, you know, feel about what they're doing, yeah, they're really talented because they, you know, they believe that um, they're going to win all those games. They believe in what they're doing. If USC gets to a place where they start believing, you know, with, you know, there was a step last week. There was a step in the Utah game. They didn't believe enough. Didn't. You know, and, and rightly so. The coaches didn't have enough answers in that game, and, and they didn't give them enough to believe in. 
uh, I think, you know, you got to have that sense of uh, that the kids really believe in it. It's working. And the way, you know, you measure it is, you know, did you win? Did you lose? And uh, uh, that's the progression, I think, that has to happen. I'm not, I'm not going to look at, uh, at numbers. If they end up with a losing record or six and six, that probably means, you know, they haven't gotten the job done. And, uh, and you know, we'll see where that goes. But, you know, if you're a coach who hasn't a track record and you, you get the job because you really are a good guy, and you're in the right place at the right time, and you're being hired by an athletic department that probably isn't any in any position to go out and hire anyone at this point because nobody trusts them. After you know what happened with Kevin and Sark, uh, you have a shorter lease. I mean, you know, play whatever the contract was, and I wouldn't believe any of the stuff that's uh, you know just bandied about about the five-year contract and all that. Uh, I would say uh, he's got. A less time to prove himself and, and, and going one and, uh, you know, five, uh, in the first six games with him as the official full-time, you know, coach, uh, doesn't help. So, uh, he's got to fit himself strong, uh, and the scenario you painted would be not a strong finish and, uh, that'd make it very difficult. Tarek, uh, had a question, Dan. He says, Sam Darnold is a perfect fit in this offense. My question then is, why would the coaches put Max Brown, who might be a perfect fit in a different system, in a situation where they knew he wouldn't succeed? I don't know that they knew he wouldn't succeed. I think they thought in a perfect world that offensive line would act. And I've said that all along. If, if you believe the offensive line is really going to do what you think they ought to be able to do at this point in their careers, uh, as veteran as they were, you know, essentially a two-year starter everywhere you look, um, you have to think that, uh, that Max, uh, with some explosive wide receivers and, and pretty explosive running backs might be the safe choice. Now, the problem was if the offensive line breaks down, if the protection goes away, if you've got to have a quarterback with quick feet, quick arm, you know, everything quick and, and give you a, a, an extra running back. And as it turns out, you have wide receivers that, against the, the people like uh, an Alabama or the way Stanford chose to play USC or way UCLA or um, Utah did much of the game, they don't have a lot of separation ability. Now, if you play them the way Arizona State felt like they had to play them because of, of the things, you know, and the matchups and just the athletic count, then you say, wow, they've got a lot of separation ability. Uh, but uh, against those really good teams, they didn't have much of that. So they couldn't run the ball. They couldn't separate. And, you know, the quarterbacks, uh, knowing the, you know, the protections and all that kind of thing isn't really something that USC needed. Uh, I do think uh, uh, the majority of the coaching staff probably wanted to say, let's, let's go with Sam. And I think, you know, Clay, I think, was – very optimistic that, you know, this offensive line would get it together and they'd be able to do the other things that would, you know, make Sam the, the choice, that they'd be able to run the ball enough that that would set up the deep play action pass. Well, when you can't run it at all, the deep play action pass isn't going to do you much good. Uh, so, you know, they, uh, they didn't have what it took. Did they know that? I don't think so. I don't think they'd have set themselves up for, what was going to happen in those two games, uh, you know, if they knew. I mean, I don't know that anybody – two things I don't think we could have known. A, that the offensive line was just really not going to perform uh, the way it, it did not perform against uh, uh, Alabama and Stanford. I don't think there's any way you could have predicted to the level that they didn't perform. And then the second thing is I don't think anybody could have really – we saw every practice, we saw every summer – workout, you could not have predicted that Sam Donald would come in and play like this. I mean, they're just so that put those two things together and um, you've got, uh, you know, 2020 hindsight. Uh, I can understand how it happened. Uh, I wouldn't, you know, I kind of, I, I kind of, you know, I, I didn't, we don't have the benefit of the uh, practice tape. So we don't get to see. So we're, and we're not that close to the offensive line in terms of what they do. Uh, you know, every day back in the, you know, the corner where they're working out. Maybe I'd have had a different, you know, take on it had we been able to see 
uh, you know, that they're not consistently getting out of their stances. They're not consistently, you know, doing the right things. Uh, we just didn't, we didn't see that, but, uh, that I don't think they put, uh, Max in a position to not succeed at all. I mean, you know, nobody would do that, but that's what happened. All right. Let's, uh, our buddy Dan, uh, USC class of 1962 wrote in. He said the ASU game was very good win. However, and we get a lot of these. Yeah, but. <laughs> yeah, but. There's uh, the but. I have a concern about the play of the second string. We keep hearing from Clancy Pendergast and Clay Hilton that depth is still a problem. And despite having 80 plus scholarships, mainly because of lack of experience, we have a lot of younger players who are talented on the second string offense and defense who need experience. Why did Coach Helton have the str- second stringers go passive, uh, in the final quarter, the young players need to run the same plays and play with the same intensity as the starters if they're going to learn to play hard and fast when they're needed to in the future or for next year. Uh, why go vanilla with your second string? Why worry about running up the score if you already are playing your second and third stringers? You play the way you, you practice and you play in games to run the same offense and defense no matter which players are in the game. Would be interested in Dan's take on running up the score versus Teaching younger players to play, to score, and stop scores. Game opportunities for experience are rare and should not be squandered. Fight on from Dan. Yeah, I wouldn't run out the clock on offense. I don't think I, I, I don't uh, I don't think I would uh, uh, you know throw play action, deep bombs, and try to you know bury them. I, I don't think I'd do that. I do think I'd run it like you really meant it, and 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 you know I I, I wouldn't put a dory in. I wouldn't run reverses. Uh, I wouldn't do things like that. But I think I'd try to run everything as hard and as fast and as uh, normal game tempo as if the game was tied. Uh, I don't think there's any question that they ought to do that. I don't think they did it all that well. Uh, but I think on defense, I think defense, I don't think you change at all. I think you get them out there. And I know it's easy to say, you know, you got that kind of a lead. You just kind of play prevent and what have you. They weren't going to catch USC. And if you got the, you know, the backups in, I'd, I'd, I'd play them exactly as if, again, the game were tied and they were playing with the, with the first string because you're trying to get those backups, uh, you know, integrated and they were, you know, bringing, uh, one or two of them in at a time, uh, during the game. So I wouldn't change how they're playing, uh, because it's the end of the game. I think it's not fair to them. I don't think it, it gives them, uh, as much real game experience as you need. So on defense, I, I totally agree with you. I, I think you gotta, you know, you gotta play it like, uh, like they're, you know, that's the first team and the game's even and you're just going all out. And I don't think that happened. I, there was a sense of, uh, just go out there and, you know, hang on guys. And so I don't, I don't think the defense benefited very much from their time in the game Saturday. And I think they need to think a little bit more about that. So, uh, so that's a good point. All right. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. We have John in Oakland. He says, with the win over Arizona State, I hope USC is on the right road to success under Clay Helton. Uh, it still seems like there's a lot of hard work by players and coaches to get this team to the next level. But he watched the, uh, the two minute recap highlights from the Arizona State game was troubled by Juju's post touchdown personal celebrations. He said, not only a bit childish, but also very close to drawing a penalty in my mind. I've seen flags thrown in college games for lesser post-TD actions. I was concerned that his 67-yard touchdown run and catch, it appeared he actually taunted an ASU defender towards the end of the run with some gestures. I worry that in a close game, if Juju makes a great touchdown, his antics are going to draw an unsportsmanlike penalty at the wrong time. So I have a question for Dan. After the next post-practice media meeting with Clay Helton, could you ask him about Juju's borderline unsportsmanlike behavior and potential for a penalty? And if the head coach has, uh, is he doing anything to correct this behavior? John in Oakland. Yeah, John, I think it's a good observation. And, and, you know, I think it's one of these things that this is a team that hasn't had that chance to do that, that kind of celebrating. And Juju is an exuberant sort of a, you know, a, a character. And I think, you know, we, I think many of us kind of expected uh, a little bit of that. Yeah, I, I get a little nervous about any, any of the gestures that, uh, or, you know, change in uniform or anything that, that draws attention to individuals. And I know Clay has worked on that some. 
I know, you know, working on the uh, the entrance, uh, you know, to the game for the team and all that. Uh, are there still some things maybe to work on? Yeah, probably. And uh, yeah, you don't need to. You don't need to uh, draw attention to yourself. You really don't. You know, everybody's paying attention. And, you know, I just like the idea. You get in the end zone, you turn around, you find the nearest official, you hand him the ball, and then you come over, you know, maybe celebrate with your guys. But, uh, yeah, I don't, I'm not a person who's really into uh, individual celebrations. I, I don't think that's, uh, that's needed. And, uh, you know, I think I was listening today, somebody's going over the, uh, what are the reasons for the, I think the big national poll, the reason people don't watch the NFL as much this year, the ratings are really off and they gave them all kinds of reasons about, uh, you know, the, uh, the flag and the national anthem issues and all that kind of stuff. And I'll be honest, I think one of the reasons people might not be crazy about the NFL is, you know, you got a bunch of boring games followed by, uh, excessive celebrations in the end zones. And, 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 uh, so I'm not a I'm not a big fan, and uh, I'll follow up with uh, Clay on that for you. We have uh, David wrote in. He said, "Is the lack of physicality because of our offensive and defensive lines are maybe working more on their upper body strength and less on the lower body strength?" And he put legs in parentheses, uh, which may okay. uh, I, I got. It. Thank you for that. Uh, which <laughs> which uh, it's which may able them, or I guess it may. Allow them to get her, get a better push or stronger base. I think teams like Stanford have different strength training on the linemen's lower bodies. Thanks from David. Yeah, I mean, and this is one of the hard things to evaluate because we don't ever, they just really don't let us see the weight training. We, we, they talk a lot about, and I know Stanford has taken, you know, some credit because they put the videos out, but they talk a lot about, you know, position specific, uh, at USC you know, weight training and that they really do. And, and, you know, you've got a guy like Kenichi Yudeji is their, you know, defensive line coach and he was a strength training guy for the last four years. So, and he clearly understood, you know, the value, uh, on the offensive line, do see maybe more reaching and leaning than you'd like to see. Is that, is that just because of an overemphasis on the upper body? I don't think so. Uh, but, you know, there's something there. They don't, you know, you watch, for example, and this is not a very good Stanford offensive line. They're not very talented, not very big and all strong, but they still seem to, you know, really get underneath. They seem to get their tail underneath and, and, and get that good, you know, pad level and leverage. And you're not seeing that as much with the USC offensive line, where they seem to get their legs really underneath them and have that, that good drive uh, and acceleration into the, you know, target. Uh, you know, whether, you know, I know it's easy for people on the P to, you know, throw blame at this guy or that guy when, you know, that amazes me when I see that because I said, gee, I'm there almost every day, and I don't know that. Uh, it's not easy to know. I mean, you can say, well, it doesn't look like it or whatever, but uh, I, I don't I don't have a good answer as to why I'm not seeing that ability to, uh, you know, keep their pad level low, keep their legs back or keep their butt back and keep their legs underneath them with that really good, you know, leg drive and, and just ability to root people out uh, all across so that there's nobody that's behind, nobody that isn't, you know, a part of that. And, uh, you know, some of that is 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 scheming and, and just technique and and how they ask them to do it and you know some of it you know could be the the weight training but but they really do talk about how they 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 make the all the movement strength movement drills uh, uh, very very specific to each guy's position so uh, wish I had a better answer but I don't. We, uh, Marcel from Diamond Bar wrote in. He said, it seems Colorado's patience with their coach is paying off. Could USC be patient with anyone? Love the show, uh, Marcel. And just real quick on that. I mean, Mike McIntyre, he's, you know, obviously that's a, that's a whole different thing when you're talking about a program that can't even win a game in the Pac 12. Uh, and he came from, you know, he turned around a program like San Jose State. I think there's a reason you're patient with someone like that. I think 
the Clay situation is definitely different because he doesn't have that track record. It was a, you know, questionable sort of hire, like resume wise. So I think that's why there's less patience. And of course, USC's roster is stacked compared to what he took over at Colorado. But get your thoughts on that too, Dan. Yeah. And they threw Colorado into the Pac 12 and, you know, they weren't in a good place to begin with. And then they get thrown into the Pac 12. So I think it's one of those, you know, you got to give this guy a shot. I know this. He's, he's kind of the most unassuming guy. I, um, at the Pac-12 media days, uh, I, I sat down at a, at a table with Dave Wanstead, who, uh, works for the Pac-12 network some, and I don't know where else he works for now. He does a lot of different things, but he used to be the Bears coach. And he, you know, he was talking, uh, and I, I at first I didn't realize it was Mike McIntyre was sitting there, and I, I was talking to Wanstead about, some of the games that I'd covered in one of the training camps I'd covered when he was the Bears coach. And I remember McIntyre is the least uh, big-time college football coach personality you'd ever imagine. I mean, he's just like another guy at the table. And uh, very cool guy, very neat guy. You can see why they haven't, you know, wanted to throw him out. He's just an extremely likable guy. And, uh, uh you know, and in a completely different situation from uh, from where USC uh, is, and and I think you know anybody who came into USC after the last six years, and after what's happened, you know, with uh, with Lane and Ed and and Sark, was going to be in a kind of up against it situation where people thinking, well, now it's time. Now you know, now we get it right. The fact that you know. Clay hadn't had had any head coaching experience at all. Uh, there's nothing people who want to say, well, give him a chance. You know, like you know, Ryan said, with Mike McIntyre, you can say, give him a chance. He, you know, it's impossible to win at San Jose State, and he had them playing really well by the time he got the Colorado job. I mean, nobody could coach at San Jose State. And so uh, I think you don't have that with Clay. So that makes it a lot harder uh, you know, to, uh, to push that position. Uh, it's just, or, you know, people say, well, it was really down in the dumps after, you know, uh, Larry Hackett, Paul Smith, those guys. But, uh, but they gave Pete Carroll a chance. Well, yeah, but Pete had really actually done a pretty good job at, uh, at the Jets and, and New England, whether, you know, I mean, you know, a losing record and he probably didn't get a fair shot either place. So, uh, you know, Pete had something again you could, you could fall back on. People weren't very happy about, about him, but, uh, at least you could, you know, go there and argue it. It's, it's impossible to do that with, with Clay. I mean, he was a staff guy for both Lane and Sark. And now here he is. And, uh, people would say, well, but he's a good guy or he is, which he certainly is. He's a very honorable, decent, you know, human being and all those kinds of things that people say, yes, yeah, so what? Uh, you need a, you know, a guy can win football games. So at this point, uh, I don't think there's any way you defend or make the case. It's Clay's case to make, and he makes it by them getting better every week and winning football games. And that's where it is. And, and Clay knows that. Uh, we got a question from uh, I'm on. Uh, he says, from the last few weeks, many of us, including myself, have been very negative regarding uh, Cl- Coach Clay Helton's personality, play calling, and handling of Sam Darnold. Do you think it was possible that Coach Helton knew all along that Sam Darnold would be the starter this year and did not want to hurt his the, the redshirt freshman's confidence by starting him too early in games that were probably losses? Thanks for the awesome podcast. Best, uh, I'm on. You know, I don't know. I think that's an interesting question. I I don't think, I mean, I think he knew some things, for example, and I don't know that he's gotten enough credit. He knew uh, what Sam could do, which is why, very unusually, he said that we're going to use Sam uh, in the red zone and in short yardage situations. And that's a tremendous confidence booster for a young guy. So I think Clay handled that part of it really well. He put him in a place to get a boost uh, for his confidence, but without putting him in a place where he's really going to get shot down badly if everybody around him does not perform. Uh, 
I think that was more of a byproduct. I don't think that was a rationale for uh, for doing it the way they've done it. I think you're going to be able to look back and say, wow, that probably worked out as well as you could have hoped for. Uh, I wish, you know, if I if it were me now, you wish he'd have decided to do that against Stanford because I think, you know, Sam would have had a, a really good shot at Stanford. I mean, they, they couldn't do enough things to shut him down. Uh, and, uh, I don't know that they'd have been a big threat to, uh, to him, uh, at that point. So, uh, so I don't think it was intentional in, you know, the way you say it maybe, but, uh, I think it's going to look like, uh, they got him in about the right time. Uh, and it would have probably at that point then people would have said it wouldn't have been fair to, you know, take, uh, take Max out after one game or two games. I mean, look at the uproar that happened after three games. I mean, there were people who, uh, who you know, who loved Sam until they put him in, and then everybody decided, well, this is the time to jump on Clay because he must have known something. And, and I, don't think, I don't think that was the case at all. I think Clay really thought he wanted, uh, you know, the ability to have a, a veteran uh, who knew everything about the offense and a guy who had been the leader in the transition. I mean, there was no question that, uh, the leader through the winter and spring and summer had been, uh, you know, Max. And it was kind of a reflection of that's who you want your quarterback to be, a mature, you know, guy who's been around and seen it all. And, uh, it just didn't work out the way all the pieces fit. Sam was the, the best part, you know, the piece to fit you know, and make the puzzle work, you know, go together. But, uh, but I don't think it was intentional, uh, from the beginning. And Max Brown was voted a, a captain by, you know, his peers. So that's, I mean, that makes it even tougher, you know? Yeah. No, he, I mean, it, it, you know, if everything else works, it's the right decision. Almost nothing else works <laughs> uh, against the people they were playing. Yeah. And yeah. they opened up against Arizona State schedule. Heck, if they'd opened up against, uh, you know, Colorado's schedule, including Michigan, uh, I think, you know, they'd been a far different situation for Max, but, uh, they didn't. And, I mean, and, and the problem was they opened up, uh, the Stanford game, they acted like Stanford was still Stanford. The genius of, you know, UCLA and Washington the next two weeks was they realized, they saw, and I guess, you know, you see more film on Stanford, you realize, Stanford's not Stanford anymore. They got one player. They got average quarterbacks. They've got, you know, small offensive and defensive lines that aren't all that athletic. Uh, you know, they've got one speed guy. Uh, this isn't a team that can do a lot of things to hurt you. And basically, uh, you know, Washington UCLA said, we'll take away this one thing that can hurt you, and the rest of them can't beat you, and we're going to just play real physical because they're not that physical. I don't think USC even – thought that maybe we ought to go out there and just try to beat them up physically uh it was like they're still stanford no they're not and yes he didn't seem to understand that and that's on usc that was that's uh, of all the games this year that's the game that that i thought they really really mishandled we'll do a couple more let you go dan and we're going to get to practice here tim wrote in from costa rica so we love the international questions love love costa rica tim beautiful down there says, good to see the Trojans turning around again against Arizona State, but a long way to go. There's the butt again. Uh, my concern this week is Colorado's speedy receiving core, who are going to attack Iman Marshall for sure. Seems when he has to cover a receiver with moves, he gets beat, and he put this in all caps, a lot. Um, he, a lot is two words, by the way, uh, Tim. But anyway, uh, do you think his skills are best suited for a corner or maybe better at safety, it seems he keeps getting burned week after week without great improvement, especially when the opponent's quarterback has time to throw. Great job. Another expat for USC. Fight on from Tim. Yeah, Tim. Uh, you know, pretty good observations from the uh, uh, jungles of Costa Rica, I guess. Uh, sometimes it, it does jump out at you. And, uh, yeah, Biggie's got to stop grabbing people. He just got to, got to, got to, got to. Got to keep his feet moving, uh, and so that he doesn't have to play it with his hands. Um, he does want to come up and help. He does want to make plays, uh, and he certainly could do that. Uh, but it does get him. And now there, there were times we're not always sure of the call. So 
you know, if he's chasing somebody down, that doesn't always mean he got beat. Um, but uh, if there are places where you say, wow, that looks like it's kind of undefended, what the hell's going on? A lot of times that isn't, you know, on the side where Biggie is. So uh, you got to, he's got to just keep improving every week. And, and I know Clancy says very good things about Biggie. Uh, uh, you know, when you ask about who had the best, best uh jumped out at you know in, in fall camp for example he said biggie you know biggie i like you know what biggie's doing so um you know you just got to hope that, that it comes around and i know there's the debate always and there always this has been since he left high school is he you know is he a better safety or better um uh in a corner i mean if you're kind of in betwixt and between and you're maybe not exactly where you should be or whatever. I don't know that that's a, a characteristic you want of your safety. I mean, I think, you know, judgment has got to be a really big part of being a safety. Uh, just size alone and the ability to hit people isn't all that you need from your safety. So, uh, it's just, you know, we'll see. I mean, we'll see if he can, uh, uh, you know, give them the, I mean, they're very, they're very comfortable and confident in Biggie. So, and they see all the film. Uh, it just you would like the penalties to go away for starters, and the busted coverage uh, that's happened a couple of times to just say you know just those have to go away. And uh, until they do, people are going to have those worries. One last one from Percy, and we uh, we get this. People talk about this kind of a lot. Uh, he says, please be honest about your assessment of the players on defense. The current Wisconsin defensive co- coordinator was ridiculed, he said, by me as well, incessantly, but he has the bagger- Badgers balling out this season. Is it the coaching or the player? So he's talking about Justin Wilcox, of course, uh, who Clay Helton fired, and uh, he had, you know, pretty good run. They lost to Michigan, but his defense is playing pretty well there at Wisconsin. Yeah, I mean, I think there are all different, you know, parts to that question. I think one, Justin didn't trust his players. So I don't know any question. I didn't trust them to play man coverage in the secondary. Didn't trust them to blitz. Didn't. And I, I think if you're playing in a Pac-12, that's a really bad deal. You know, you you've got too many quarterbacks, too much wide open offense, too many playmakers so you can catch the ball, uh, you know, out of the backfield wherever. Uh, if you don't trust your defensive players, you're probably not going to do enough to keep yourself in game. So I thought it was a genius move by Justin to go to Wisconsin. Okay, you're playing in a league, and he got the biggest break in the world where they opened the year with the, uh, you know, 1950s, uh, LSU offense. And you think, wow, that's a, that's like playing somebody from the Big Ten again. Uh, so they got to shut LSU down, or you could say LSU shut themselves down like they normally do on offense. And you're in a league where they probably don't have the kind of skill players and they kind of, you know, all over the field that they do in the Pac-12. So, and he, he was succeeding probably the best defensive coordinator in the country and Dave Aranda, who I'm, uh, you know, from, you know, just watching him. He's a, another Inland Empire guy, uh, who, um, you know, USC saw in the Holiday Bowl. So I think they were probably pretty darn sound to begin with. They're really well coached. And I think, you know, Justin's been smart enough to say, let's don't, you know, upset the apple cart and screw this up. And I would say he went in there probably trusting his players to do what he, his vision of what he wanted them to do, um, matched with their vision of what they wanted to do. At USC, that seemed to be a complete mismatch that nobody was doing what they thought the others, you know, should do or could do. And, uh, you know, it was just a, a terrible mismatch. So uh, in terms of a commentary on if he were still here, uh, I don't think that, that, that you know, that that's a valid commentary. But, uh, you know, good for him for getting that job and being able to, you know, take advantage and, you know, whatever he, however he sees, uh, you know, defense playing at the college level seems to, you know, work out well in the Big Ten. I'm not sure, uh, it ever would work all that well in the, uh, in the Pac-12. Yeah. You know, when you take over for such a successful 
coordinator like that. I think there's just going to be, there's already a culture of, of winning and the success already there. Um, but like you said, I, I agree with all the points, Dan. I, I think it'll be a better judge a year or two down the road. You're not taking, you know, you're taking over. Uh, you took over a really good situation and he's, and he hasn't screwed it up. He's made it, he's kept it good. So that's great. Um, we'll see how that continues on. You know, even against Michigan, Michigan missed a bunch of, uh, short field goals, I think, in that game, but still they moved the ball okay. But yeah, I, I think if he's still successful, like a year or two down the road when it's his players and, um, you know, more of his system and stuff, then yeah, you just take your, your props to him. It's certainly working out better there than it was at USC. Yeah. I mean, the hardest part with, with Justin was, I mean, we talked to him every week and I didn't have any idea what the heck he was talking about. It didn't seem to match the reality that we were seeing. It, and, and I didn't get the sense that what he was saying matched the reality of what the players were doing. That, that when you talk to them, they, they just felt like there was way too much thinking. And maybe that's the difference. You can get away with thinking in, in the, you know, Big Ten. And maybe you can't get away with thinking in the Pac-12. You know, you really you just got to play. You got to react. You got to get the job done. And, um, and, and, and that's what the USC kids weren't thrilled about, that they, they had always had a couple of choices about what they should do on each play. And they had to take the time to make that decision as the play was being run. Whereas, uh, you know, maybe in the big time, you got time to do that. Uh, but you don't in the pack too well. All right, Dad. Well, great stuff. We'll, uh, appreciate you coming on. And shared all your insights. We got to a lot of questions. Thanks for everyone for sending those in. We'll do at least one or two more shows this week. And uh, Dan, thanks again. Okay, and we'll see you at practice. Yeah, I'll be out there with you in a couple hours, Dan. And uh, so, yeah, everyone, hope you guys enjoyed this edition of the Peristyle Podcast. Keep checking back. We, I think we're going to try to get Adam Munster Tiger on. I think we'll try to get Shotgun on. Maybe a special guest. I don't know. We'll see. We'll we'll. Got a few things in the burner. We'll see what we can come up with for more podcast episodes this week. But thank you so much for tuning into our little show, and we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.